Australian Muscle Car Magazine is one of the most respected voices in motoring media. There's been over 140 issues and thousands of stories published in the last 22 years, from the amazing muscle car machines of the past to the present and the stars that steered and built them. AMC has something for everyone. Delve into the heritage of homegrown high performance now at musclecarmag.com.au. G'day everyone, I'm Will Dale and welcome to the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Timken, a world leader in engineered bearings and mechanical power transmission products and services. Now, you'll have noticed that it is not Aaron Noonan who is hosting this episode of the V8 Sleuth podcast. That is because he is my guest, because we are talking about all things V8 Sleuth. Now, Noons, are you ready to be an interviewee for a change? This is weird, mate. This is re- <laughs> I'm sitting in the same chair with the same microphone at the same desk that I normally do podcasts, but I'm not doing the intro. I, this, yeah, weird. This feels weird, but it will be good fun. It will be, and don't worry, it feels weird for me being the host as well, driving the show. <laughs> nice intro, so, I like that. You, yeah, you, yeah. You, you can do that more next yeah. year. For those who aren't in the room with us, that was the third take, but that's okay. So, we've got to thank everyone who sent their questions in. We called out for what you wanted to know about us as a business and what we do, how it all sort of came to be. Uh, we will get to those National Motor Racing Museum catch race the questions, but I guess the place to start, I always struggle when people ask me what I do. <laughs> One, because I'm not great at talking about myself to begin with, but I don't really have a solid explanation, a short summary of what we actually do here. It's hard to put in a small bite size label. Um, the best way I can describe it that probably gives our best way to summarize it is I view us as a motorsport media agency. We're boutique, we're niche, we're getting bigger, um, but we service the industry. We don't do motoring, we don't do road car related stuff. Mm. It's all about motor racing and car racing. Um, we do a lot of different stuff. We do lots of different stuff. And a lot of it you don't see or hear. You might see or hear the bits of it, but you didn't know that we did it to start with because yeah. it pops up somewhere else, for example. But we're a publisher, whether it be our own website, our books that we're doing. We're a wholesaler. We sell other people's books and other products online. Uh, we do statistics. We manage a lot of historic services for... You know, we supply to the television networks, to supercars, to the teams. Uh, we we do a bit of everything, really. We're working with a bunch of different brands on um, content for their own socials, whether it be the photo archive that we're dipping into to do that. So I would say that we're a motorsport media agency. We have our finger on the pulse of the industry, um, and we have a finger in a lot of different Pies in a lot of different ovens is probably the best way to describe it. <laughs> that we do. Now, let's wind back a little bit because the v- it feels like the V8 Sleuth brand has been around for a long time, but where where and when did it actually start? Where did the first idea to actually have this little slice of your own thing? Yeah, it's, it's one of those ones where you probably should stop and actually write stuff down at the time, which is <laughs> ironic because that's kind of what our whole thing's built upon is doing the things that other people haven't done in that area. But- the brand, V8 Sleuth, the label, the logo, 2012, I think you probably find about that time. Um, and that's Will Hall, who runs Authentic Collectibles, uh, that many of our listeners will know who collect the model cars. Uh, he was Bianti model cars, I think, general manager at the time. Been friends with him for a long time since he was at Brad Jones' team as PR man. 
Uh, and Tristan Groves, who worked with him at Bianti, who now works with him at Authentic, ace graphic designer who's done so mm. many of our books and prints and things over the years that we've worked together with those guys on. So I'd got to the point where I'd been tracking the, the race car histories. That At its core, V8 sleuth was you know, sleuthing, finding things that haven't been found or um, writing down the histories of which car was what, primarily V8 supercars and touring cars. So just one of those little interests that grew over time. The files grew. I kind of need to put this into a structure, a website, a database. And um, I drag those two in because Will's got a web design background and Tristan's a graphic design background. So a database was built to house all of these individual car histories of which there was at the time, I don't know, 200, 300 maybe. I think there's now 550 in it now. And the V8 Sleuth name, oh, you've got to put a label on it. You've got to call it something. So whose idea was it? I've been was trying to remember this. Or? I've got a we- maybe I haven't had a chance to talk to him before we did this, but I've got a feeling it was a bit of an amalgamation of discussion between Will, Tristan and myself on – What's this? What is this thing that you do? Oh, you find old stuff. You mm. you document it. You write it down. You keep the history. V eight, obviously, they're all V eight supercars. Yes. That was obvious. But the sleuth thing stuck. I'm not sure who can claim credit for it. it. Might be a unless I can find an email specifically where someone said this is what we should call it. Um, I think it was kind of a joint little combination. I'm, I really wish that I had a very clear answer to, to remember it. But I remember. It coming, whoever just, I think it was a group discussion and it came out of that. And it made perfect sense. It mm. clicked really well. V8 supercars, V8 sleuth, um, sleuth. A lot of people, some people went, sleuth? Well, what does that mean? Well, you find stuff. Well, you, you find, find stuff. stuff out. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you find stuff. And the other thing was that we'd done, uh, formerly I had done the supercars website content through Big Pond and Neil Crompton for two years. And, we started doing stories on old race cars and we called them Saturday Sleuthing. So I'm pretty sure that came after. See, this is where things get hazy as to what led to what, but the fact of the matter was that it was a bit of a- We need our own entry in the database. Yeah, we do, we do. Uh, That's what it really became. But at the start, it was a website to house the the history of the cars in a database that was a subscriber- uh, pay your money for 12 months access to be used as a resource for collectors, restorers, people who are in this industry looking to buy a car or have bought a car and want to know more about it. That's really what it started as and all the layers got built on top of that with news and classifieds and social platforms and all that sort of stuff. But at its core, that's kind of where it was. And Crompton's actually a huge part of this without trying to be a huge part of it. Neil Crompton? Yeah, yeah, because what was happening was my little fi- – I started this, I think it was the Motorsport News days, very early when I started. Just started to build a little word file of just tracking which car was which, what, where, why, how. And then it evolved and grew. And then I started doing some stories in magazines and website stories for supercars and other places. And it sort of got a bit of momentum to the point where people went, oh, he's the guy I need to ring to ask about this car I want to buy. So you'd have someone on the phone – asking you, hey, look, I'm looking to buy this car. Did Peter Brock race it or did it win back? You know, so mm. you'd end up by nature being, you know, I'd like to think I'm a helpful type of person. You'd hang up the phone after an hour and go, I've just spilt my guts and that guy's just driven the price up on his car by 50 grand. <laughs> this is not right. <laughs> Where's um, your car? Yeah, I, I, Where's need the to, commission? I, I need to do something here. And, and Crompton said, look, stop complaining. 
Um, you've got something really cool and valuable. Own it. Make it yours. Put a, a sign on it. So then V8 Sleuth. Um, put it in a website. Put a padlock on it, i.e. a subscriber code. You know, you've mm. got to subscribe. Um, those who will see the benefit in it and the value in it will pay and will enjoy it and get a lot out of it. And those who don't, don't matter uh, because it's not for them, clearly. Uh, so shut up and stop whinging and complaining that your time gets chewed up by all these people <laughs> asking about this stuff when uh, go and take control of it. And and that's what we did and that's what's led us to where we are now. And there was no grand plan on if I do this, this will happen. It's just I like that stuff. I'd like to know mm. what car was what. Call it nerdy, call it what you like. <laughs> My wife calls me a nerd because of it. But I enjoyed it and I think all things that become bigger things come not from the plan to make them big, just from the fact that you are passionate, you like it, you're interested in it, and away it goes and, you know, buckle up and hold on and enjoy the ride. So, as you said, so all of this doesn't happen without a passion for motorsport. Where did that begin? Where did that come from? Dad. Yeah? Yeah, it's his fault. (laughs) (laughs) uh, He was, he's always been a motoring, motorsport enthusiast, he went to Sandown before I was around, and uh, yeah, it's him really because he bought the magazine. You know, he bought Auto Action every well, fortnight as it was back then. It was at the milk bar up the road. With <laughs> what I what I hated though, if our archive of Auto Actions, the guy at the milk bar, old Don, would write Noonan in text <laughs> on the top of it. To, to put it aside for us, that was our copy. That hurts the resale value. Oh, shocking for keep value. <laughs> Not that I'd ever sell them, of course. But, yeah, and, and I've got photos of me sitting on my dad's knee. I don't know. It was probably four or something, flicking through Australian Motor Racing, the magazine that David Hassel did, who, you know, that links to Motorsport News later on where things popped up. But it's it's him. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't a competitor. He, he didn't have a rally car or he didn't compete. He was a spectator and an enthusiast and... That's kind of what exposed it to me, and then I think I've I've just gone on with it a bit further <laughs> and got a bit more uh, obsessed with it. But the funny thing is, I have to find it. I will find this for you, and we can run it because mm-hmm. I think it's hilarious. Um, there's an, a tape recording. Of, I think I must have been three, and we will find it. We'll play it on another <laughs> podcast later. Um, or attach it to the end of this one. <laughs> yeah, potentially, if I can find it in time. Or I hope the tape's still not – I think yeah. it's still Okay. My mum recorded me. I was three, I think. Well, remember 1984? No, um, I wasn't around then. Oh, no, okay, okay. You've seen just, the videos, though. Just, so, yes. Surface Paradise, Alan Moffat crashes into the earth embankment at the end of the straight at the old Surface Paradise mm. in his Mazda, breaks his sternum. John Harvey's in the HDT car, ends up in a mound or something and goes and pulls him out. Um, there's an audio recording of me who's like three or three and a half or whatever it would have been. Um Telling like Peter Brock's on holidays, and John Harvey <laughs> was driving his car. So because Brock was racing at Silverstone in yeah. the Porsche to get ready for Le Mans. Of course, when you're three, you don't know those details. No. But I was so attuned and into it, and we'll find if we can't find the audio, you'll just have to believe me, or we'll get my mum on the podcast to, to explain <laughs> that this did happen. And it's an audio recording that they recorded of me at that age. Talking about this stuff, and that's why she always goes, "Well, you're always going to do this stuff because you're already doing it then. Now that <laughs> people pay you to do it, rather than you just doing it at home." So um, that's yeah, that's where it's at. It's my dad. It's it's his fault. So going, therefore, going into a career of media and commentary was a pretty logical progression. But I imagine it's not a straightforward adventure. 
It probably was straightforward. Yeah. Really? Um, the commentary wasn't the plan. Mm. I didn't set out to be a TV commentator. It wasn't in my head at the start. My head was, I just want to work in car racing, and I think magazines was the go. Um, I wrote, and I've probably told this before, and some of our listeners have probably heard it, but I wrote a letter. No, so I started writing car club stuff. So th- this is all the sleuth story. This is a little bit me, but it's kind of what created sleuth. As the OG sleuth yourself, <laughs> you are an integral part to the story. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, so, I guess so, if yeah. I have to be. But I I think I, uh, Ballarat Light Car Club, um, I wrote little articles for the monthly magazine, members magazine. So I would I came up with a system. When I was still at school, so I don't know, year eight, nine, ten, I would write this is pre email, pre social media, websites, you know. I I would write I wrote to Tiga to get the addresses of all of the teams. That was the Teams Association of V eight supercars hmm. before it was V eight supercars. Touring car entrance group of Australia. Correct. And so I wrote letters to all the teams, to various drivers. They would write back, which was very kind of them, and I would turn that into a story for the like for the Barrett Light Car Clubs magazine. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So um, it was kind of a way of doing an interview over about a two month period <laughs> via mail. Yeah. Um, I've got all the letters. I've kept them all. Famously, Neil Crompton's made an appearance on an episode of V8 Extra some years ago where he he kept it. He dug it out of his file. <laughs> of course he did. And whipped it out on TV and embarrassed the crap out of me. Um, Mark Larkham wrote back. Uh, Stephen Johnson was the first one. Mark Scaife, uh, Neil Crompton himself, um, John Faulkner. Anyone? Oh, actually, now that I mention it, on Channel 10's Bathurst telecast a few years ago, we did a story with Steve Richards because uh, he was driving with Lowndes and they actually <laughs> won the race that year. We filmed it at Sandown a month beforehand, and I told the producers I had something pretty cool that I thought I'd like to wheel out. It was the three-page handwritten letter that he responded with. Wow, three back pages. Then. Yep, Gary Rogers Motorsport letterhead, so that's about 1996, I think it was. Mm. He answered like 12 questions. He hand-wrote it, and I thought, you know what, that says a lot about that guy. Ooh, and yeah. I wheeled it out in this interview in the grandstand <laughs> at Sandown, and he nearly fell out of his chair. <laughs> so that's where all that stuff kind of started. And then, you know, you're at school and they go, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? We're going to do work experience. Hmm. And I can't oh, – I know I'd been through the car club, started doing community radio. Oh, really? Motor, okay. Motoring on air. Uh, Saturday mornings on 3 Triple B. 97.5 on the FM dial back then. I think it's 99.9 now, Community <laughs> Radio Ballarat. Um, oh, I reckon I was 15, 16, if that, uh, with another fellow, Peter Ellis, who's a driving instructor in Ballarat. And um, that's where it started. Hmm. A bit of radio, car club, and then I guess the big thing's writing a letter to Motorsport News. Hi, my name's Aaron. <laughs> um, I'd like to be a motor racing journalist. Excuse so that me, was Mr. Brannigan. The aim was I want to be <laughs> I want to be a motor racing journalist. I wasn't at that time thinking back. You know, people probably said, "Oh, you always try to be a commentator." It wasn't the primary thing, but anyway, um, wrote a letter to Motorsport News. David Hassel, the editor, rang the home number at home in Ballarat, and they said, uh, "Come down and have a crack at a Formula Ford support race reporting." So that was 1997, round one under lights at Calder, the first round of the touring cars under the V8 supercar brand. 
And Start the, of a new era. Yeah, it was. So I was there under lights, and Dad was stoked because he got in for free. Because <laughs> um, uh, I couldn't There's drive. There's got to be some benefit to it. Well, of course. I couldn't drive. Yeah. Like, I was oh, of in course, year yeah. 10. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I even, I wouldn't have had my learners even by that stage. Um, and the first, and, and I met Phil Brannigan, the editor at the time, who's been around a long time in the media center. And he said, Do you know Garth Tanner? And I went, No. Nah. And he went, All right, I'll go and introduce you to him. So he introduced me to Garth, who was sort of one of the hot shots who won the championship that year. And then he left me to my own devices to just go around and introduce myself to other people. Second bloke I met was Marcus Ambrose. And the third bloke was Todd Kelly, I'm pretty sure, Jeez. who were in Formula Ford that year. So Decent array of talent wasn't to, um, bad, to yeah. begin with. Yeah, good, good, good era, that one. Um, and then that started it all. Went and did a few events where I could convince Dad to take me. Luckily, he, he worked in Melbourne. He was a union rep driving backwards and forwards from Ballarat every day. So school holidays, sweet. Get in with Dad. <laughs> he dropped me at their office in Caulfield and picked me up on the way home. So I was doing the classified. So this maybe is where the sleuthing started because my first thing I did as a – I wasn't really even a junior. I was – I don't think that I got paid. I didn't want to get – I didn't care. Like I was – I was in there. Yeah. And I did the classies. That's where sleuthing starts. <laughs> Combing the classes so for what was for sale and how much was it and all that stuff. Because we go back through those things now looking at all auto exactly. actions and motorsport news and go, why If on I earth? had the cash, how? I would have bought half yeah. of those cars and they'd be worth about 20 times the price now. And that's where that's, you know, if we start so to see where the- where the history- That's where that starts stuff. to creep in a little bit. But then um, finish school, get a gig with them straight out of school. Uh, what's that? 2000. And away we go. So, yeah, the sleuthing thing, that's where it starts. That's its uh, foundation point where if you wound it back. So it goes beyond the website, the brand. That was just kind of the garnish later on to put it under Hmm. a a carport. What do we call this? It was always the thing and an interest. It just then got a label put on it. Is the best way to probably describe it. When did you actually start committing to writing down and working out what had gone where, what was what? Motorsport news. Yeah. I vividly remember, because at the time, there was one laptop. Everyone had a desk computer, (laughs) but there was one laptop that went to the races with anyone who was going to report on races. So I borrowed that one weekend and took it home to the place I was living in in Doncaster, and I sat there with my rough paper notes and put it into a Word file. And it was just a tabulated thing by constructor of car. So Holden Racing Team, uh, Stone Brothers Racing, Dick Johnson Racing, Glenn Seaton, Larry Perkins, et cetera, et cetera. Quite often I didn't know the chassis numbers of some of these cars, but quite often I did. So it was just a rough spit out of my handwritten notes onto a tabbed Word file that then over the next few years more info got added, I can't fit it in, now I'll do a Microsoft Publisher file on each car with the little photos. So it's all just evolved, but that's where it took off. And then you start to write some stories in magazines based off some of that content, and the thing takes on a bit of a, a life and a mind of its <laughs> own, really. But, yeah, that, it, was the, it was the motorsport news era that the, the interest in that kind of peaked, but probably not to the level... Of later on, but mm. that's where you know if you if you wound it right back, that's where you'd see the the fire started 
burning. That sounds a bit deep and meaningful, doesn't it? But <laughs> that's kind of where it is, yeah. So at what point does it go from being like a passive thing where you're seeing all this information come across across your desk with the classes and going back and doing your own research to becoming a bit more active in going and talking to people, talking to teams, talking to owners? Well, yeah, a bit later on yeah. because the motorsport news thing lasted for a couple of years. Then I did career a cup PR when it started. Then I did that for a year. Then I freelanced and went back to Motorsport News for half a year. Then got a gig with Pemberton Publicity to do Holden Motorsport PR. So I kind of put me on a side of the fence where to track the other side's cars, I still could do it, but I was doing the chassis inventory every year for the Bathurst Great Race Chevron book. So that started in 2000 where I convinced the editor, Steve Normal, that we should do like a car inventory <laughs> at the back. And it was very funny. good idea. Yeah, well, over the I guess we did it for another eleven years before the book ended, the Great Race series of books. Mm. And from the first one, if you look, it's just text. And then later on, the, a picture of each car in black and white. And by the end of it, we were in color. Damn. So I reckon almost the evolution of the car inventory in the back of the Great Race Bathurst annual book each year was kind of showing the the step up of the evolution of what would become sleuthing because it was kind of a well, that's pretty cool. Let's go with that. Let's <laughs> let's make that bigger and better each time that the book comes out. So um, it just kept on growing. And I don't think there was a moment where I went, Yeah, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna press on with this and go higher and harder. Everything like everything that we're probably gonna talk about, it just evolved. Mm. But you just you know what it's like. When you get a little bit of a it's like a thread. You get a little thread and you go, Oh, huh, interesting. Yeah. And you pull it on a blanket or a shirt or something. And you go, oh, shit, that took off. Oh, where, where's that going? <laughs> and you just get a little bit of interest. I wonder what that car was. Oh, I'll talk to that guy. Lead you to someone else. Oh, yeah, he's oh, – while I'm at it, I should tell you. But, and away it goes like this tree that's got this root system that just keeps going and going and going until you go, oh, crap, there's a lot of stuff here to, to track and to be across. And I think it got to the point where um, – Turning it into a website was actually a way for me to be able to keep a track of it as well because there's only so much stuff you can fit in your head. And, it's very true. Um, you have to turn it into something that you can search, something that you can extract information from without you know, having it all written down in paper somewhere. It probably wouldn't work too well, no. particularly these days with the amount of stuff <laughs> we've got floating around here. So, Was there ever any pushback from people like sort of one, not wanting you to know the history of their car or – like questioning why, what, saying there was no point doing this or oh, there why was, are you bothering. There, there were people uh, who said, "There's no point. You're kidding yourself. This is that's a really stupid thing." And I'll tell you who it was. He's been on this podcast before. <laughs> Paul Gover, the journalist, once said to me, "This would be 20 years ago. Why do you bother with all that shit? No one cares." Well, and I love PG, <laughs> yeah. but I tell you what, he was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of people care now. Whether it's because of the work we've done over the years on this topic, that's I'd like to think it's made a few more people care, but I think the care was always there. We've just been able to extract it from people. It was always there. We didn't create it. So he, he's the one that springs to mind, but, mm. um, and, and he's entitled to his opinion, as lots of people are, but I, I think he was wrong on that one. But I don't remember there being a time where – I think there were a few times where people went, what do you want to know for? Not because yeah, they didn't – that's the sort of thing. I'm, yeah, yeah, and it's usually where you were – Asking a team member or someone like that where they – it kind of wasn't their thing to tell you. They were like, you know, if the team owner knew that you knew, ah, oh, that's, okay, that's okay. But oh, I don't want to be seen to be telling something that I might not need to be – or 
yeah. should be telling. But I don't remember any great big huge pushback on a great deal. Look, there might have been one or two small things over the years where people have told me things but don't write it down. Um, yeah. You know, don't make it public or, yeah. we, you know, we've actually, you know, that one's been sold but we don't tell anyone. That. Those little things that you um, earn you the trust in the industry that you can be told things, you file it away because in 10 years' time you'll need to know that that car was driven by that guy that time at that test day or whatever it is. But at the time... There's a time and a place and it's not worth revealing something to go, wow, that will just bite you in the backside in the long term. So I think half the skill is not what you do say or record or put out there, but it's what you don't mm. that earns you the trust of the industry. And having been in the industry for a fair while, you build relationships, people get to know you, your work talks for itself a little bit. And, yeah, if anyone's got an issue or they, they don't want you to specifically mention or put it in your files or write it in your story or whatever it is, um, unless it's something really worth fighting for that's pivotal to the story, it doesn't hurt to leave some stuff out. You retain a little bit of mystery that maybe it takes five or ten years to go, oh, yeah, you can write that now. It's all good. But never really any huge nasty pushback from anyone to, to do that. Everyone was really actually quite embracing because I think a lot of people just went, oh, yeah, good luck to you, mate. Knock yourself out. What do you want to know? So, <laughs> yeah, lots of race teams. When I set up the website, every main game team that I asked, I asked if I could put their like endorsement mm. on, on a page there with their logo and a link to their website. I didn't have one team say no. So that probably answers the question in a in a specific sense. Every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint. May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable. So that sort of covers off the chassis database, acquiring the knowledge on that side of things. And that's the core. Yes. That's the core, but it's certainly not the whole thing. Yeah. Exactly, which is what leads me to something that I'm, I was very impressed with when I came here um, end of 2018, the, the database of race results, of Supercars Championship race results, um, dating back to, well, it covers every single championship race held mm. um, to a very high degree. Where does that start? Where did that begin? <laughs> I reckon it starts as a kid. Yeah. And I'll still have the books to prove it. We should take a photo, actually, because it's somewhere here or at home. I would sit and write out the results from the magazines in my exercise book. So this is like as a kid in mm. the 90s. Um, so that's where that starts. And then over time, the television stuff starts to pop up. I need statistics to talk about some of that stuff. So I'll start building some files. I think that the bloke that really – like Nigel Greenway was the the bloke who did it for Channel 10 in the V8 supercar era with Diffie and Osler and Woodsy and, and Barry Sheen and all those guys. And he was the go-to guy of that stuff. And then he kind of faded away from it. And I sort of felt that it was something that needed to go – someone had to go on with it. And I mm. sort of ended up being the guy and – uh, again, I was into it. I liked it. I had the you know people say how'd you build? How'd you? Well, I didn't build it all. Like it, Shane Rogers here built the database. He works for us now full time in the business. He was a uh, you know 
part-timer slash contractor. And when I met him, when's that, 10 How years ago? How did you come across Shane, by the way? Uh, motor racing industry. I yeah. needed some IT help. He's an IT guy and that sort of clicked it all in place. And I act, the, the, the database of the stats of the results that now is – I mean, it's it's a it's an under lock and key thing. You can't access it online or anything like mm. that. We use it for all of our own purposes, and you know we can. It's got great power to search for things. And as you mentioned, the main game and Super Two and TCR and all sorts of historic categories that you know races that don't exist anymore. But that started with a schoolmate of mine, Tim Bigarelli, from Ballarat, who's an IT nut. He's you know I don't you know I'm not an IT guru. I couldn't design a database to save myself. I think. Year 10 Microsoft Access is probably my level. <laughs> probably wasn't any good at that. And he had the – and I talked to him about creating a database so I could house this stuff. I had all these spreadsheets and files and stuff. I need to put it into something. And he got a bit too busy and we never – we'd sat there and mapped it all out on a big sheet of paper. That's got to lead there and you've got to have that bit of data and the oh, you've got to have the car numbers and then you've got to have, the, you know, the sh- chassis. Leave a bit of space for the chassis numbers. I'll get them one day. Yeah. And away it goes. <laughs> and then Shane came along and was able to use his motor racing knowledge – and his IT background to link it all together and build the database that's then been built upon and more data in it and more races and more races. So we keep a track. Every every round of supercars, every night after every race, the result goes in. And it's not just the data that, you know, yeah, you can read the race, the that's off results, but our, our stuff's got more. We track the safety car periods, what lap they're in or out or what they were for, all the retirement reasons, all of the, the penalties. Yeah, you know, so the fines. We <laughs> we hit drivers up with their you know their rap sheet of fines and penalties for the last ten years, and they fall on the deck. Um, probably their wife does too when they see the fines. Their contribution to cams and the yeah. sport in a financial <laughs> sense. So yeah, we, we've kept a track of all that sort of stuff over the years too, and that's come from all of these things. Now that you ask about it, and I and I haven't really stopped to think about it until we sat down and did this. It's all hubbed and rooted back in the young as a kid. If you went strictly, where did that start? You go writing out the results in an exercise book (laughs) with your neatest handwriting, which I don't have any neat handwriting anymore because I didn't type. Yeah, Yeah. I'm rubbish. Um, That's where that starts. And like anything, it just evolves and grows. And then suddenly down the track, supercars, I'm in the commentary world there. Oh, you've got that stuff. Could we use that stuff? Yes, here's an invoice. Oh, race team. Oh, we need our stuff for our, you know, and it just it just rolls, really. So it's a long way from those exercise books <laughs> to the HRT, the cars book, oh. which I guess is a sort of synthesis of both of those two things that we've talked about, chassis histories and race results. Where does the decision to create a book and start publishing Things because obviously you worked in magazines, you worked in yeah. internet publishing. When did that journey for that yeah. start? It's very different when you're when you don't own the business mm. when you're, and that's completely. You know, I now see that now. I'm nearly forty. Jesus, am I? <laughs> um, I I run the show. I own it. It's on my head. Mm. Whereas back in those days when I worked at Motorsport News, I was a reporter. I was an employee. You don't have all the other concerns of running a business and. You know, paying this and paying that and looking after that. So, um, I think the the publishing thing kind of again was an evolution where I took some of the things I'd learned in those early days where I didn't have all those other pressures and took something that I was into. So we did a magazine actually before that book. We did the Peter Brock Cars of the King magazine. 
Oh, I forgot Cars of the Kings. Yeah, came, that was the first, first thing. Yeah. So in 2016, it was the 10th anniversary of Brock's death. Supercars the previous year had engaged the business, and at that stage, it wasn't just me anymore. I had uh, one employee, Andrew, who did a great job in that time, and we put together a car display up at Bathurst for the bicentenary of the city of Bathurst. So it was in a big, huge tent on Pitt Strait, and there was, I think it was like X million dollars worth of cars in there. We had some really cool varied cars and motorbikes and stuff. And we had so many people come through over the course of that four days that we thought, if we do this again, we need to have like a little stall or something because I think people would be into the sort of stuff we could do. So then when the the whole thing was going to be a Brock thing, I kind of felt like, well, there's a bazillion Brock books and magazines, but how could we do one different? His Bathurst car histories. Mm. Sweet. So that's what we did. So we did that in 16. Um, Ryan's story had an involvement in that one. He backed us at a time when I probably wasn't fully equipped to to do it and <laughs> paid off handsomely for him as well. <laughs> um, but he had the faith and believed that we could do something really cool and we believed we could as well. And we've now sold out of that magazine, uh, by the way, which earlier this year we had a few left and they're all gone now. Um, and then th- that led to HRT. So the minute that it was clear. I mean, I'd been working on that HRT. That HRT book nearly killed me, to be honest, because I I was doing it all, writing it, researching it, had the photos that we'd acquired some photo archives over time, and I felt – and obviously HRT, as it was known, was ending at mm. the end of 16. So we were – I was already pressing on with that book, but it blew out a long way past when I wanted to have it finished because I needed to have it reproofed and – yeah, just lots of things that you don't know that you don't know when you haven't published a full book before, which now we've got it down pat. We've done it for four or five years. And yet still learning things as we go yeah, along. True. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Um, if we're not learning something off each one, then we're probably not you know, paying enough attention. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably. But um, we printed uh, – we did a 1,000 HRT books, big square, 30-centimetre by 30-centimetre book, history of all the cars to that point, um, which covered off up to the end of 16 because we published it in 17. Uh, we actually printed more than a thousand because we knew we would need spares in case of damage stock coming from offshore, printing errors of which there were many, pages that weren't sliced, the paper hadn't been cut, the pages were printed the wrong way around. So we printed, I think, eleven or twelve hundred because we knew we'd need spares. Because if you print a thousand of a thousand run book and you have any issues, you, you can't, can't replace them. Yeah. So we needed to have some up our sleeve. So. Uh, and they all got snapped up, learned a lot of lessons. At some point, I mean, we get asked about that. I mean, I don't really see that book pop up, pop up on eBay. Yeah, I've never I, seen I, it I'm anywhere. Speaking. No. So yeah. clearly there's people who really value it and don't want to sell it or they didn't buy three and <laughs> keep one and sell two. But that's where I went, okay, I've been buying up photo archives because I think I can use them for things. I've got all this history of tracking these cars that was the fusion. That was putting it all together into a, a retail product that I think there's a fan base out there that want, like, consume, devour. The rise of social media obviously was a big help because it made us hit a grander scale of people. We could build an audience that, mm. you know, a V8 Sleuth Facebook page started with 5,000 people, then 10,000. Now it's 70-something thousand. So that's your... That's your audience. That's your, they're your people of yeah. going, hey, guys, uh, here's our next book. They're the first people we want to tell because they're the people who are into the stuff we're into. So 
and people listening to this podcast are in that group totally as well. So a HRT book felt like the right thing to do. It was good timing because the era was just about to end and it sold out pretty quickly. And I think we will do a second edition of that down the track uh, because there's just so many people who missed out and I was new to it all. So I didn't I didn't make much profit out of that book at all. I've just about lost money on it for all the mistakes I made and things <laughs> that I didn't know. Hmm. But um really proud of it and really proud of everyone who got involved and helped out to make it because it sort of set the the you know the framework for the next ones that that followed. So yeah, yeah, I, I haven't thought about this stuff till you've asked me. Hmm. But that's the fusion and the the meeting of all of those different roads of things into the one place of the the photo archives, the chassis histories, and the stats, then all comes together there. And I think the the other thing is, mate, we, we do stuff that's different to everyone else. There's not anyone else out there who does this sort of stuff in our world in Australia. So that's kind of what I like. I don't be different for the point of just I want to be different. Um, we're a bit different because that's just what we're into and what we've found works for us. So why wouldn't we do it? You yeah, know. turns out there's more nerds in motorsport fandom than just you, me, Shane, and now Stefan. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the V eight the business here was one nerd. Yeah. Now I've got four. Yeah. So I count that as a seventy five percent raise. The ultimate revenge of the nerds. Mm, mm. <laughs> that is probably another point worth touching on. Mentioning the photo archive. When did that start to? When did you first start to make moves? Because we have an extensive archive yeah, got, of photographs. <laughs> we've got <now>. lots. <laughs> yeah. So turn lots. around and look at all the no, filing cabinets. Yeah, yeah. That's the. Um, I was doing a did a couple of little books well before we did commercially release books for private owners of their car history, and they were very rudimentary. And Stefan wrote one of those. Way oh, back really? in the day. Yep. Yeah. Uh, an ex-Stone Brothers car that Terry Wyhoon had at the time. We did a little book just on the history of it. Um, we did a couple of others for, for some other clients. And I, I needed some photos of a certain car at a certain year. And Graham Neander, photographer who was around Aussie motor racing for a long time, um, had supplied us a bit of stuff at Motorsport News back in the day, but I really got to know him when I worked for Tim Pemberton at Holden. Well, it wasn't for Holden. It was for Tim's business, Pemberton Publicity, that looked after Holden Motorsports PR, and Graham took all the stuff for Holden. So stuff at events, when they did studio photo shoots, they were done at his place. If there was any press shot that needed to be done, Graham did it. So I was – I can't remember what it was. I think I was doing a book on a DJR EFEL Falcon for the owner at the time, and I was a bit short of photos in certain years that I hadn't been able to get from other places and rang him up, and he still had his archive. was all in a storage facility – in filing cabinets, and he said, yeah, meet me down there one day, we'll go for a flick through, and, you know, whatever you can find, if you want to use it, go for it. Okay, cool, no worries. Went down there, had a look, went, holy crap, you got some really <laughs> cool stuff here, yeah. you know, covering the late 80s to the early mid-noughties, and uh, it just evolved from there from a point where I went, you know what, if he's not going to do anything with this and he's willing to sell it, I'll put together some money to buy it, and I can actually create... You know, this will make any more books that I do for private owners a bit easier to do. Maybe some people researching their cars might buy a wad of photos of their car over its different eras. And if I've got them, then I can make stuff out of them. Yeah. And that's all where it starts. So that's about seven or eight years ago. And then over time, um, opportunities popped up to acquire a couple of other collections. And uh, Dirk Kleinsmith, obviously, who's um, retired now. Dirk. Yeah. 
he's going to be at Bathurst next year um, for round one to kind of have his farewell round because this year was not the same with, you know, not as many people being at Bathurst in October and all that sort of stuff. But um, just little opportunities, little acquisitions, opportunities where people had things that they went, look, I'm not going to do anything with this collection Mm. anymore. Do you you want to do something with it? Do you want to acquire it? So there's probably been six or seven now over the journey. And if you've got some photos out there and you're an amateur photographer of motorsport and you're wondering what to do, (laughs) just give us a call because I always open to add more to the family. I didn't expect this podcast to turn into an ad. (laughs) Dude, what do you think we do here? Come on. But no, that's – and and that's now helped, um, you know, it underpins our books. Largely, we don't really need too many external photos because we've got a lot of what we need here. So I think being turnkey, self-sufficient, it's kind of how I like to be in life, rather, just not just business. If you do it your own way and you do it yourself, then you've only got yourself to blame if you <laughs> stuff it up. You can't blame someone else. Yeah. So I just rather doing it my way, which I'm sure doesn't make me much different from most people. We'll get back to the podcast in just a moment, but I wanted to quickly tell you about our good friends at Timken, a world leader in engineered bearings and mechanical power transmission products and services. Now, you might know their name and you might recognise their logo, but did you know that Timken bearings are used in the centrepiece of one of the most stunning stadiums in the world of sport? The $2 billion, yes, billion dollar Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta features a retractable roof that is a work of incredible engineering. It features eight triangular roof panels, or petals as the designers call them, that slide open and close in the same way that a camera shutter does. Each petal weighs almost 500 metric tonnes and when the roof is closed, each petal cantilevers over 60 metres from the outer edge of the stadium. Now despite the weight, the size and the complexity of the design, the roof can be closed in just over 7 minutes and opened in just over 8, with Timken's tapered roller bearings used to ensure each petal moves smoothly. The stadium's home to the Atlanta Falcons NFL team and the Atlanta United Major League Soccer team, and in 2019, it hosted the crown jewel of American football, the Super Bowl. We'll bring you more cool facts about Timken in each episode of the V8 Sleuth podcast through the course of the year. Now, it's back to the podcast. Of course, I'm not just the only one asking questions here. We put the call out to our fans on social media, our traditional... National Motor Racing Museum, Couch Racer Questions. And, of course, National Motor Racing Museum is one of those people that we've partnered with over the years. Oh, we do heaps of stuff with those guys. We, we found them a um, museum coordinator. <laughs> That's right. I say we. we I wasn't here at the time, well, but the business We should did. tell that story quickly. So yeah. uh, one day, a couple of years ago, I spotted a job ad for the museum manager role at National Motor Racing Museum at Bathurst. And I thought, oh, that's a good little story for the. So at the time, I don't think our website was – We've never really been a hardcore news everyday website. I would just do things that I went, oh, that's a bit interesting. Yeah. Or hasn't been written about anywhere else. And I just put up a little story. Dream job available at Bathurst. You know, there's a position here, click here, blah, blah, blah. And it turns out that the bloke that's now in the job, Brad Owen, who got it, his (laughs) brother spotted the ad on our, well, the story on the website about the ad, told his brother, he applied for it, got the job, and now we do some stuff with the museum. So it's funny how the world sort of all clicks together but uh, we love the museum they're uh, they're a great bunch up there they've been doing cool things so and if you're on holidays or touring around yeah. central new south wales goldfields don't get don't go in on a tuesday no that's the not open day. yeah yeah but that's any Brad's other day, day of the week <laughs> is Brad's day off <laughs> yes any other day of the week 
see a phenomenal collection of cars and a lot of memorabilia yeah, as well. Yeah, lots of cool stuff on the walls there that you probably don't think about. You're thinking about the cars and the bikes, but it's those little – it's trophies, it's race suits. It's, it's gigantic panels. heads. Yes, right. <laughs> One of those Holden promo heads. Is it Lowndes or Ingle or someone up there? I think it's Larry, isn't like it? Late 90s, I think yeah, they had those. Yeah, they took them around in the back of the utes. Stuff, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, some cool stuff there. Really cool. And uh, all right, uh, this bit, the museums – Bathurst website. I'm just thinking over this holiday period, their opening hours might be a little bit different what days they're open closed. So jump on their Facebook page just to double check or the museum's Bathurst website so we so you don't lob at the door and knock on the door and go, those idiots on the VH List podcast told me to come <laughs> and it's shut and then they don't like us and we get in trouble. Let's not do it. Then angry emails, yes. Yeah, exactly. No, no, no. Anyway. Okay. National Motor Racing Museum couch race questions. Yep. First one from Justin Olden. Did the success of Holden Racing Team, the cars, 1989 to 2016, make you realise I can do this in regards to becoming a publisher and incorporating it into the V8 Sleuth business? Um, yeah, probably did. Because um, one thing to think up a concept, another to execute it, and then another for it to go well. Yeah, so there's probably three pillars of it. Is it that you identify that there's something that people will like, that you can do the bits of it, or assemble the ingredients and then that you can cook it mm. and that it doesn't taste crap. <laughs> That's probably the fourth, isn't it? Um, Some people don't get all those analogies fourth. on this podcast yeah. now. Yeah, I think it did. I I didn't go into that going, I think we can definitely make this much money or I think we can sell this many copies. I went into it because I went, this will be a great book. I will really enjoy it and I want to do this. And I think looking at it afterwards, I went, yeah, okay, that there's enough in that that we could do this. So the answer is probably yes, but I didn't really consider it at the time. It was more in the aftermath where we kind of went, there's no books anymore. Mm. Oh, okay. Well, we haven't been stuck with those. That's a good thing. <laughs> so, And the other thing, I guess, is that book actually, uh, what inspired that book was there's a book by, uh, I can't remember the fellow who wrote it. It's a McLaren book. I've got it downstairs here at work. You've probably seen it. Mm. It was a book done seven, eight years ago, and there's been a second version or third version since. And it was every model of McLaren race car, not just Formula One, but from when Bruce McLaren started the first car. Sports cars, Indy cars, cars, all yeah. that stuff. So right through each model, right up to the latest Formula One car of that time, they shot them. You know, it was a really beautiful book. They shot them, you know, cars in studios to get them all looking the same on white backdrops. And it's beautifully done. And I... Yeah, my book's certainly different to it, but it was the inspiration of a book on because I just thought it was a really lovely book and thought that we could apply that to something in Australia. And and there's no really a motor racing book. Yeah, there's motor racing books in Australia, but not really a publisher for them that specifically is expert in it. There are mm. big house publishers that do books on motor racing topics or people, but they do a bazillion other books about a bazillion other things where we just do this and yeah sorry long way to answer the question but i think the hrt book did definitely give us a, a feel that there's something here and we should go on with it where we can in among our other commitments but over time it's proven that it's probably taken over those other commitments now too this isn't part of Justin's question, but were there any other books that you'd wanted to do prior to that? Anything you'd considered or started or done any? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, a long time ago, before I had a clue on how to do any of this stuff, 
I always wanted to, and I will do this one day, so no one pinch my idea. <laughs> and if you do, <laughs> I will find you. Tomorrow. I will find you. Um, I have a great passion and love, and actually we discussed this on a recent podcast with Stefan about the Sandown 500 or Sandown Touring Car Enduro. So I always felt that everything's about Bathurst and rightly so, but I thought there's a book and I still think there's a book in the Sandown Enduro. There's never been a book mm. telling its story and its results and its history. And I had, like, this is mid-2000s. And I'm thinking, I'm going to – so I started assembling information, researching, got old results, all the period magazine articles, amassed a lot of other material. And because I had no idea, I I want to write a book. I knew nothing about it. (laughs) And I've never got back to that topic. But now I think the sand – unless another category picks up the Sandown 500, TCR maybe – GTs. It's entirely possible. Possible. Yeah. Um, in the same way that the title was picked up in the 2000s. Yeah, but with Procar. Yeah. yeah. So, and even if it is, it'll be just a little add-on. It's mm. not the main part of the book. But, I, yeah, that's the book that I had originally wanted to do and I will get back to doing at some point now that we're equipped to kind of <laughs> have a clue what to do on how to bolt together a book. That Yeah, that, that had been in my brain oh, 10 years before and I'd been doing stuff on it in my free time, but it just never turned into a, you know, a manuscript, let alone a finished thing. So, mm. but mark my words, we will get back to that at some point. Well, I look forward to that being. You'll a be thing probably making work, work on, on it as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Next question from Scott Archer: Who comes up with? I like this question. Mm-hmm. Who comes up with and collates the obscure stats that make for great reading? Blame Shane. <laughs> He's probably the. Uh, he's generally the main offender. Uh, we do contribute, you and I, and yeah. Stefan has already joined in the fun. Um, yeah, you normally you're, you're writing an article. Oh, what was the last time this happened? Has anyone ever done three in a row of this? Or uh, it's and all those sorts of little half things. Half an hour later, you're down a rabbit hole finding out all sorts of different things. Well, the problem is you ask Shane for something and he gives you the list of ten of those things when you only wanted the first two. <laughs> and, of course, that, does, that starts a discussion about something completely different and so on and so on and so on. So it's kind of all of us that dream up what the thing is we want to look up. I guess the, the good part is that we've got it there to look up, whereas exactly. you could ask the question and go, oh, jeez, have you got six months to try to write all that out and figure out how many times that happened in, you know, you just never do it. So, yeah, um, yeah uh, all guilty. I think no one particular party here is guilty of that one. Everyone's guilty. Our next question is from Dave Petty, and it's a short, sharp question, but it is our Castrol question of the week. Oh, okay. Like, it must I, be good I, then. It must yeah, be yeah. very good. Because um, I'm not sure what the answer to this is going to be. Okay. Dave asks, what was your backup career? <laughs> never had one. I had a feeling that might have been, never, yeah. Never, never had a, this is what else I could do or want to do. Not once. It was always just yep. something in motorsport. Yep. Oh, media. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can't drive. Jeez. <laughs> That's <laughs> how I ended up here. I yeah. went through all the all the different things you can do in motorsport. I drove a Formula Ford one day. I couldn't fit in it, though. <laughs> but I didn't crash it like Ben Beasley, the Ford PR guy at the time. Stitch up number one for yeah, the podcast. It was, Frosty's, it was one of Frosty's Spectrums, but I was wearing Will <laughs> Davison's spare helmet. So Michael Borland was watching me go past terribly. Puzzled why Will Davison's helmet's in Frosty's car. He's normally quicker than this. Yeah. I didn't crash it. No, I spun at the first corner on cold tyres, on the short track at Calder. Anyway. Look, we've um, all done that. Have we? (laughs) Oh, oh, I I felt good when you said that. I've still got the readout of the the paperwork on the the little uh, bar The data trace, yeah. Because I went too – so at the end of the back straight at Calder, you turn through the right-left. 
because I went through the right too fast, I was totally offline and too slow through the left. But for a time on the exit of the right, my graph's <laughs> over Nick Agland. So we put it in the magazine with a little arrow on it. For Just, 0.2 of a second, yeah, you were yeah, better I'll than a top four probably driver. Probably not even yeah. 0.2, probably 0.02. <laughs> um, what was the question again? <laughs> what was your backup career? Obviously, oh, yeah, wasn't none, as a driver. Yeah, none, none, none. I, um, I was encouraged at school to apply for uni, hmm. which I did. I got accepted to. I sat. Oh, here you go. I sat entrance tests for journalism and PR at RMIT in the city in Melbourne. Hmm. Didn't even get an interview. Uh. Kind of wasn't that upset about it because I was always – Motorsport News wanted me to go there a year early when I was still at school. But I said, no, I've finished school because I was underage. I wouldn't have been able to drive anywhere yeah. or too hard basket. Nice that they wanted me to do it. but um, And you look at the people that also went through Motorsport News, it was a pretty decent school finishing oh, school of its own. Yeah, I, I was kind of the first young guy that they gave a, a crack at uh, or got in there. And then it was Grant Rowley, and then it was Chris Jordan, um, Andrew Van Leeuwen, Mitchell Adam, who was sort of been around a bit in the industry by that stage, but was in there for a time. Um, I've probably forgot one or two others that I shouldn't have forgotten, but yeah, it was a bloody good um, production line of, of motorsport people who've gone on to do really good things. So um, yeah, no backup. Didn't I ended up getting accepted to La Trobe Uni in Bandura for journalism with no intent of going. I think I just did it as safety because kind of my teachers told just me I should have it. Just, but yeah, I, I've done it. I've I had it. the motorsport news thing there ready to go for when I left school. So I didn't. Yeah, there's never been a backup plan at all. Any job that I've done or been involved in has been in motor racing, media, um, no, absolutely no backup plan. And, and I'm not saying... It's going to work out all right, everyone. If you just want to do car racing, just you've got to be all about it and have no other backup. I'm not saying that that's the how you should do it. It's just how it worked out for me. But um, no, no backup. Still no backup. Yeah, so, it's true. Yeah. Well, thank you very much to Dave Petty because that was our question of the week. Thanks to Castrol. And remember, Castrol is more than just oil. It's liquid engineering. Will. <laughs> it's I've liquid read this one a few times. It's funny hearing me say this for once. That's good. I want to hear it. Go on. Castrol provides the oils, fluids, and lubricants for today and the future for every driver, every rider, and every industry. Be sure to follow Castrol on Facebook to stay across the latest in motorsport, exclusive competitions, and much more. That was really good. You should Thank do this all the time. I did used to work in radio. I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> why, why not? Why, why not anymore? Can we just start up a radio station here for you? Sleuth oh, FM. Where would you install the transmitter? Uh, what, yeah. Hang on. No, more important. What kind of music can we play? Oh, you are a music head. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pretty open. What, what cool. would you want to play? Probably a bit of Pearl Jam. I'm cool with that. Yeah, That's, cool. yeah, yeah good. Yep. Yeah. All right. There's a new project for next year. <laughs> next question. Australian Muscle Car Magazine is one of the most respected voices in motoring media. There's been over 140 issues and thousands of stories published in the last 22 years. From the amazing muscle car machines of the past to the present and the stars that steered and built them, AMC has something for everyone. Delve into the heritage of homegrown high performance now at musclecarmag.com.au. Question from Brenton Thorpe and it's not radio station related. 
He wants to know what your best Kmart racing story is because, of course, oh. you worked as the PR person, media person for Kmart racing during probably its glory oh. period of 03, 04? Uh, 04. 04. Halfway through 04. So I wasn't there for Lap of the Gods. Um, 03, I was the PR for Carrera Cup Australia, for Cup Car Australia, which wasn't Porsche. They didn't run it. It was oh, a yeah. separate business. Uh, Jamie Blakey is no longer with us. He was a great guy who got me involved there. Um I started halfway through 04 doing the Kmart stuff because Gerald McDornan, who had done Holden and Kmart for some time, was off to America to work for uh, the Cowans in drag racing, top fuel. And so I was there from Oran Park till the end of the year. So clearly winning Bathurst is probably the standout. Oh, no, you know, I know what he's looking for. He's looking for a story. Mm. So the Kmart car had the Spider-Man livery, so I was involved in helping – do that together because it was to promote a Kmart toy sale that started the week after Bathurst. And Spider-Man 2 was kind of the, I think it was on DVD at the time. Or Sounds about come right. out, yeah. And that was the thing that we went with as the, you know, the, the bannerhead thing of the, the year leading towards Christmas. But so the guys won Bathurst and I have Greg Murphy's suit from that Bathurst win here at work, mm. um, which is quite a – and he's Dunlop podium cap as well, which some years later – I. Did a bit of a deal with Gregory when he was, um, I think he was selling a bunch of memorabilia to raise a bunch of funds as well. So I, I bought some of those items from him, which is really cool. Um, so there's a nice little connection there. But we kept the Spider Man theme going. It was just for Bathurst originally. But then two weeks to the Gold Coast, they left it on and Murph won there as well. <laughs> so they went, stuff it, let's leave it on. And then got to Tassie and I think Rick won the first race and then the engine. Blue and the sort of the little streak ended, and we peeled it off before the last <laughs> round. But that was the that was the the Gold Coast 04 is the my favourite. Well, it's it's a Kmart racing moment, but it's a the the Bathurst win is really cool. Like to mm. be the PR for a Bathurst winning team and be in and around the team, and I still talk to some of those guys that are on that crew in the pit lane or who are out of the sport now and. Uh, you go, shh, truth, next year's 15, no longer. How many is that? 17 years. Oh, yes. So um, that was really cool. But the, the thing that sticks out is the Gold Coast. Remember, there's the huge shit fight with Murphy and Ambrose in the press conference. <laughs> it's yes. the best V8 supercar press conference I've ever been to or ever seen. Um, when Ambrose, So Ambrose blued with Rick Kelly in the first race because Rick had spun Russell Ingall in the chicane and got a drive-through or had to come in to pull a tire off, the guard off a tire or something, I can't remember, came out back on just behind. Uh, it was just right behind, behind yeah. Marcus. And he yeah. just shadowed him for the whole yeah. race, one lap down. And Marcus was really getting oity-toity at the time and brake-checked him going across the start-finish line. He brake-tested him for sure. Like look, not, look, not even jammed the brake shadow on, of doubt the when you look at the vision. Murph goes sailing past you, I think finished second further back on the road. So, but no one really. It wasn't live coverage back then, mm. so no one really saw it or picked up on it. It all blew up the next day on the, the media conference. But if you look at the video, and I found it the other day on YouTube, Ambrose and Rick go nose to nose, and and Ambrose is saying basically, "You do that again, and I won't put the obscenities in. Mm. I'll put you in the wall." He said it, rock solid. Said it. I was there. I heard it all. Um, I'm in the background and I've sort of got my PR guy hat on going, let's defuse this, let's defuse this, we don't need this. Um, this isn't going to sell toys. No, so I pulled Rick away because um, it was – there'd been festering. Like the, 
it was the world against Ambrose and the world against Stones because they'd become mm. the king team. So everyone was trying to knock them off. The tallest and, poppy. Yeah, and on the Holden side of the fence, he was the bloke that they were all trying to swing at, you know, beat him on the track and everything. So mm. anyway, um, I pull Rick away and I didn't need to pull him away. He wasn't like trying to, you know, take a swing or anything. But the um, my phone rings straight away and it's Murray Lomax who – with Channel 10 at the time and later with Supercars, and he gave me my TV opportunity a couple of years later, <laughs> mm. and he thought I was pulling Rick away to not talk. Oh. But I was just sort of pulling him away to just let it simmer for a second, yeah. and then we'll do an interview. So he was giving me half a, you've got to make him available, you've <laughs> got to make him available. I'm like, we're going to make him available. We're just going to just wait a second to just yeah. let it just cool off a little bit. And he did a pop- But I think Ambrose ended up in front of the stewards in Tassie, over it all, and I can't remember if he got fined or if he got off or what. He, what we'll happened. consult the database. We'll consult the database yeah. for that. But that's the standout Kmart moment. That press conference with Ambrose and Murphy, where Murph just went in. Like he <laughs> he's, he took on the role of pitbull journalist. He put Fogues and Gover and Bruce Newton to shame that day. He just <laughs> he lit up. He um, what was his line? Uh, we're not just going to pull over and let you win. This mm. is car racing, you know. Like, it was just. <laughs> But Ambrose just didn't. Oh, I really like Ambrose. I reckon he's great value. He had no response that day. No, oh, Murph got, had him dead he to got Absolutely owned. So uh, that's my standout in the Kmart time. That's the best press conference in the history of V8 supercars. No one has beaten that before or since. And your guy was on the front foot. He was on both front feet. He had both. <laughs> foot, he had both feet well and truly forward. That's for sure. Probably another question that sort of flows on from that era from Saren Thatch. What was it like working for Holden Motorsports PR department? Uh, it was great. Um, I spent two and a half years there, mid-04 to the end of 06. Um, and I was primarily – I went there to do Kmart and then I did a bit of GRM and then I did Tasman for 05 and 06 and I also did a bit of HRT in the second half of 06 when an, another guy from the business, Steve Cahoon, left. He, he left to go to FPV. So he <laughs> went out of the building real fast. He came into work one day. I shared an office with him. He said, oh, mate, I'm, uh, I've got a new opportunity. Oh, good on you, mate. What are you doing? <laughs> oh, I'm going FPV. I said, have you told Plastic yet? No, nah, about to. Righto. Goes in. Tell, like, I can hear it from down the hallway. Your body, what? <laughs> we need to get plastic on the podcast next yes, year. Yes, yes, we do. And um, it comes back in and he goes, right, mate, i got to go now. <laughs> I think he was out of there in about 20 minutes. He grew, quickly grabbed some of his stuff in a box and, and dispatched out of the building. So uh, I really enjoyed that. I probably learnt more. I remember plastic saying, it'll take you a, a year to get the politics because okay. you, you had – Permanent Publicity was the PR agency for Holden Motorsports, so we had close association to Holden Motorsports. So uh, Ray Borrowed at the time was the, sort of the motorsport manager. Simon McNamara, who later was, was quite heavily involved. John Stevenson was around. Uh, Grant Spears, uh, Grant Steers, the Spear. The Spear, yes. Um, who's sadly no longer with us. Um, he was there as well. I just learned a lot from Plastic. Um, he's very old school in He's a PR man, you know. He didn't type emails or really do computers very well. It wasn't his bag, but he had good ideas and a solid underpinning of PR, which these days has really disappeared because you just – if you run a social account and post a photo, you're a PR person kind of thing, you know. It's totally different, but I love that. I love – you know, and I probably – you know, a lot of sleuth readers sometimes go, oh, you're very biased to Holden. 
Oh, I'm not biased either way. We just do the content that appears at the time or that's newsworthy or yeah. is of interest. Um, we don't sit around. We don't sit around well, in the morning thinking it, about no, how to do it. And yeah. there were, there's been more Holden race cars than not. Mm. So they've had more success. They've had there's been more of them. So it's kind of a bit natural that that's going to pop up a little bit more. But I, I love that period. It was pretty short, two and a half years, but. Um, some of those Holden drivers' Christmas parties were good value. I can tell you that much, <laughs> but I can't tell you much more than that. Yeah, probably for the best. I, yeah. don't, know whether that'd, <laughs> yeah, big, I don't think we'd have big, to cut those out with the days, podcast. Big days, big yeah. nights. Um, but I really like being on a team. I mean, I know I didn't work for the race teams, but you were made to feel like you were um, part of them, particularly when, you know, Tasman with Winkup and Richards had those double podiums. Uh, you know, I was there in 05 through that and – um, yeah, I, I, and yeah, we did a little bit of stuff with Brock, not not heaps, but that was the rest of Saren's questioning. He said, "I predict or I'm predicting a lot of times working with Peter Brock." But from not what really. you told me over the years, no, yeah. not really. Um, when he came back and did Sandown Bathurst with HRT, I remember Plastic sent me on the Thursday or Wednesday or Friday, whenever it was. I think it was Friday. Yeah, oh, mate, go and talk to Brock. Um, I'm try- I won't try to do the plastic um, impression. Anyone who knows him will know how he speaks. Yeah. Um, the, the I think it was the Daily Telly wanted a Brock's favourite nine Bathurst moments. So I toddled off down there with my tape recorder and bailed him up and, you know, I met him a few times and he knew who I was. And, um, <laughs> and it, it was a five-minute job that became a 35-minute job because, oh, what about this? No, that was pretty good. And, and I'm sitting there going, if you'd told me <laughs> that I'd be standing here with Peter Brock uh, shooting the proverbial about, you know, his Bathurst memories and moments, I would have said you were crazy. But, uh, yeah, and I think he did a few motor shows that we would I would go and, you know, do the interviews on the stage at the Sydney Motor Show when he was there signing for fans. And so I had a little bit to do with him. But probably, sadly, the most we probably had to do with him indirectly was when he died mm. that we did so much behind the scenes in all of that when it all happened and the aftermath and... The Sandown Memorial and the funeral, and that's probably a, that's a whole another podcast for another time. But um, yeah, it was a good little period, two and a half years, and I really enjoyed it. And I I only left because the TV opportunity popped up for 07, so I sort of had to go and break the news to plastic. And um, at least you weren't heading to FPV. Actually, no, it was funny because he said, "Oh, oh, good on you, mate. That's a good opportunity. You'll do good at that." Um, Oh, that's that's actually good. That's worked out well. I thought, oh, she took that pretty well. Because he goes, yeah, I've just had my budget cut by Holden, so I was going to have to sack one of you two blokes. <laughs> <laughs> so You've made his job easier. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm here to help. So yeah. Jeez. Uh, that worked out. So, yeah, that um, no, was good. I enjoyed it. It was good fun. Next question from someone called Thruster One on Instagram. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I think I know. I know definitely that a fan point. of the sport. Yeah, I've dear, seen anyone dear Aaron, I'm a long time listener, first time caller, um, and just to add a little bit from myself, one time vacuum cleaner. He was, yeah, one-time yeah, cleaner. Dyson champion of our yes. office. I've seen it on socials. It's true. What's been the hardest race car to track down info on, or to find its whereabouts now? Oh. It's, probably, it's not a short list. No, it's, it's actually much longer than you think. And there's yeah. probably a pile of cars that you go, we'll never really know. We can build a theory, but we'll never be able to prove. Yeah. It's all those ones that have disappeared. Like, where's the 68 Bruce McPhee, Barry Mulholland winning Monaro, mm. Bathurst winner, or the 69 Bond Roberts car? Like, there's, I'm sure there's a million different stories, and one of them is right, but how will you ever know? Yeah. They're sort of the ones that you look back and go, Ugh. 
that'd be good to know. But geez, I wish someone was sleuthing in the sixties and seventies <laughs> and writing all this stuff down. It'd make life much easier. The odds of unearthing a smoking gun at this point are probably n- yeah, it's pretty be hard. Yeah. Oh, I reckon pretty minimal. Um, oh, there's been yeah, there's a bunch of cool cars over the years, but there's oh, look, there's not a standout one. It, most things are known and found, aren't they? Really, there's there's the, the odd barn find, as it were, or things that people have forgotten about. But it's kind of like the if a tree's cut down the woods and there's no one there to hear it, did it really fall or did it yeah. make a noise? You know, um, is it lost if one person out there knows where it is but no one else does? Then technically no. But there's a oh, actually there's there's a couple of I really am interested in. Um, I think a lot of the ones, though, that we don't have much info on are the ones that we haven't spent much time or, if any, going and working on. Mm. We haven't had a need to, a reason to. We're not doing a book on that topic or um, we're not doing a private project for the owner or anything like that. So we probably let some of those things go that we just don't have the time to do. But I reckon there's some cool Group A cars still floating overseas in places that no one stopped to think of and I don't want to tell you what they are because I might – trigger some people to go and think about them. <laughs> so I'd rather go and find them first. Yes. Next question from Examblor. Traditional spelling. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> For, oh, that's, their, that's their Twitter handle. Yeah. Hi, Noons. Was motor racing history always an interest for you even before your media, media career? Kind of yep. covered that yep, one off. For sure. But the second question, in the future, would you ever expand outside of the V8 bubble and go into F1 history and the like? Oh, that's a big one. That's, it is a big one. There's a lot there. We've had plenty of an office chat about this sort of stuff. And from the, the car history tracking point of view, occasionally we'll do a little story on a Le Mans car, a Formula One car, an Indy car that pops up yeah. that's got an Australian connection. or Like, it's, like the F1 car that Weber, Mark Weber owns when we talked yeah. to him for the podcast a couple of years ago. Yep, yep. Last um, year. Not long ago, I did a um, Petronas press conference with Valtteri Bottas a video conference before the Bahrain race and, you know, journos were firing questions so I thought I'd ask a sleuth question. <laughs> I wanted to know if he owned any Formula 1 cars and he does. He owns yeah. a Williams that he won. He's got his first podium in, in Austria in 14, I think it was. So mm. um, I actually, you know, we've talked about it a lot internally that, and you've done, you actually compiled a few years ago a bunch of Ferrari histories and Red Bull histories and a lot of that stuff's out there. It's just got to be tied together. So... Mm. Oh, I think you need to be on the ground, though, yeah. to be able to really know the ins and outs of who's got what, where, why, and how. Being here, we're a long way away. But the world's as small as it's ever been. It's probably grown a bit bigger in the last 12 months with COVID and travel restrictions and stuff like that. But, I, yeah, I think, we sh- I think we could do more than just touring car content. It's will our audience here consume it and click on it and like it and want it, I guess is the big thing. But I'd be open to, to doing more of, you know, apply the sleuthing style to F1 cars, Indy cars, Lamar cars, anything that's cool, really. Last question from our National Motor Racing Museum Count Tracer questions comes from Greg T. Barton. Can we please get stickers and other merch like caps, <laughs> shirts, etc.? cetera? Uh, we did have a run of stickers there for a while, but we ran out and we've never gone back to do them again, but we should. Yeah. Uh, I did look a long time ago at the merch caps, T-shirts type thing and kind of didn't feel that there was enough interest out there or for what it would cost and the time and the effort. 
that it would be worthwhile. Maybe that's changed a bit now. I don't. I don't know. We might have to do some homework into what that costs and what it looks like. But um, how much does a um, sky blue deer stalker cap with a V8 sleeve branding <laughs> on it go for? Oh, I'm not sure, but we probably need to find out. <laughs> we need uh, at least one. Sure. Yeah, we'll at least I think one. we do. Um, that might be a project for the new year to do some costings and see. Look, if if you're interested and if you're hardcore and you think that you'd love to have a, a V8 sleuth cap, like a baseball cap, not a Sherlock Holmes-style cap, or if you want to go that far, mm. uh, drop us a note. Let us know if, if you think it's a thing that you'd be up for. Um, you might be able to change our point of view and convince us to do it. So start a petition Arco-style. If it really <laughs> takes off, we might be doing a million bloody T-shirts at this rate. That's so. change.org forward slash V8 Sleuth merch. <laughs> Is that a thing? It can be. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, we'll look into it. It's yes. probably the best way to answer that one. Yeah. So that was our last couch race question. You know what comes next, don't you? Dude, I hosted like 84 episodes of this podcast. <laughs> so I've got to, if I don't know, I should be sacked <laughs> for next year. So, of course, next is our Motor Focus Top 10 Shootout, mm-hmm. where it is a form of word association. You don't have to tell me. I know. I okay, know. I tell everybody else this all the time. Yeah, but you never know. This may I be the first time now. a person okay, listens to right. this podcast. Okay. It's a fancy form of word association, very much modelled on the Top 10 Shootout that you see at Supercars Races. One shot against the clock. I give you 10 names. They yep. can be of people, things, whatever. And you've got to say the first thing that pops into your head. Now, you are quite strict about this with our oh, guests. Yeah, yeah, I knew you'd say this. But I'm going to be generous. Okay. I'll It'll do, just I'll go be one the word. first thing. Whatever no, memory. I can do it. Can? I can do it. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. This is, of course, brought to you by Motor Focus, a lovely model car shop in Archerfield. Not Unit 9, number one Stockwell Place in Archerfield, Queensland. Motorfocus.com.au. Yes, where if you sign up to their collectors club, five percent discount. Mm, mm. Yes, and you can listen to the Motor Focus Model podcast as well. You can't. Which I, I've got to say, I I do the audio editing on that for us. I've really enjoyed that this year. Yeah, I'm not just saying that because I'm because I'm in the business. I just like I collected models back in the day. A little less so now, but I still get the odd one, and it's just nice to hear a bit more information around them. Yeah, if you haven't heard it. We do it with Dimitri Camino from Motor Focus, our great mate up in Queensland. We started it this year. We talk about model cars, the collecting, the world of collecting what's coming out, what's newly released. If you haven't listened to any of the episodes, uh, give yourself some summer listening and have a listen to the Motor Focus Model podcast. It'll it'll keep you going to uh, into next year. Right, I've stalled enough. Go on, <laughs> hit me. All right, first. Yeah. Sand down. Oh, special. Peter Brock. Icon. That's a popular response. Yeah, it is actually. Yeah, but it's true. It's accurate. It's very accurate. Yeah. Third, Phil Brannigan. Um. Hmm. Lumpy. (laughs) (laughs) I'll explain. Yeah, I think you're going to need to explain that one. Phil was the assistant editor at Motorsport News when I first turned up and later became the editor and was the editor for a long time. In our Motorsport News office... We had a, a computer that was kind of the spare uh, when you needed to scan a photo. It wasn't any one specific computer. Hmm. So all the computers, as you know, in a network system have to be called something. So <laughs> here at our work, I've, you know, mine's Aaron's iMac, very original. Yeah. Um, I don't think we've ever renamed yours from its previous user. Correct. Uh, That's fine. You know, front desk and, you know, yeah. you know, AN1 Media iMac, you know, nothing original. So- this machine was called Mr. Lumpy. 
don't, I don't. I think what he it, named it. Surely there's an origin story. Uh, there, there probably is, but we'd have to get him to tell us it because I, I, I honestly don't remember it or don't know it. But that's what springs to mind. <laughs> Lumpy. <laughs> Unexpected, but hey, it was one word. Good. You it said was one, one word. word. It was one word. Hey, you made the rules. I just played to them. Rory the Lion. Gerald. So it was never you in the suit? No, I never wore the Rory. The- oh, did I wear? No, I never wore. Oh, I'm pretty. No, I don't think I ever wore the Rory the Lion suit, but I one day did wear the Kangalotas suit. <laughs> Yep. I didn't know that. True. I just remembered that. Oh, oh, I'm glad I brought that out. That's great. Oh, I reckon it was like mid-2000s at one of those maybe Wakefield Park Conica rounds or something like that or a pro ca- or something because you know, they sponsored a, Utes and There's a high DBS percentage chance and, that there is a photo of that in the archives, which, of course, oh, we can't tell it's no, you, you because you you're know. in a suit. And I, mate, I, where it was, when it was, I can't remember why I did it. They were short. I was standing around and they went, can you do this? Sure. Yeah, but no, I I never wore Rory the Lion outfit. Gerald did. Gerald McDonald, he definitely did. There's photos of him in it kicking the head, head somewhere. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I, I escaped Rory. I don't think I ever got – no, I'm pretty sure I didn't. It's bad, isn't it, the things you, you're not sure that you remember or don't remember. So it's over a long period of yeah, time. No, and it sort I of reflects on so- the fact that, that what we do for career is – as asking people things that happened te- 5, 10, 15 years yeah, ago. Yeah, No, You just I, don't always hang on to these no, things. No, I, I think I was safe. No Rory for me. <laughs> I think I was good. Which brings us neatly to the next entry in the top 10 shootout, Tim Pemberton. Mate. <laughs> it's just the way he says, mate. Uh, mate. What are you talking about? It's just, <laughs> yeah, it's plastic. We, we do need to get him on yeah, we do. for an episode. Yeah, he's a great man. He was very good to me. Neil Crompton. There's so many words. Um, believer. That's a nice one. I like that. That's a. We're getting some good words in this in this segment. The last few episodes. Rihanna, Rihanna Crean saying everything for Will Davis. Yeah, that I was good. Was very, I think that was very the nice. best one. That yeah. was the best one. I can't outdo that. I don't think. Jason Richards. Late. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> he was late to everything. That is oh. a common theme that when we've talked yeah. about Jason on this podcast in the past and to multiple guests. Yeah, he. so I did the Tasman team PR in 05 and 06 and you learnt real quickly to tell him a time half an hour earlier than you needed him because you knew that would be the only way to be on time because he was <laughs> shit house with being on time. Um, yeah, uh, it, you know, that's a flippant response. You know, inspirational is probably the word that really should be inserted there but... Yeah, I think you've got to think about those things. And uh, oh, he was just always late. And McConville tells the story too, trying to leave Adelaide of a nighttime <laughs> at Clipsal. And he's what, he's saying hello and chatting to every marshal that he's leaving and every pit person. And, you know, two hours later, McConville's standing there having withered away to nothing, having not eaten dinner and desperately trying to leave the track for the night. And Jason's saying hello to another person. And um, that's what, yeah, that's I'll, I'll go with the humorous answer because I think, um, that's a good way to, to remember him. Murray Lomax, uh, who was the head of television for V8 Supercars Unit. Yeah. Um, when you started. Opportunity is probably the word that springs to mind. It doesn't really describe Murray, but it's It's, it's the first he, thing you can... But, yeah, 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 opportunity. So I'd got to know Murray when he was at Channel... Because remember that Channel 10 broadcasted V8s as Channel 10 before Supercar TV was created. Like they did it more or less in-house. Yeah, it was in-house of Channel 10. Yeah. And then it went 
to be done by V8 TV for Seven and then obviously later for Fox and so on. Um, doing all those Konica series standalone rounds back in those early 2000s when a certain Mr. Denya was doing Trackside, <laughs> which we talked about on the podcast with him earlier in the year, that's when I got to meet and know Murray and I started doing some on-track commentary. I think I filled in for Barry Oliver one weekend doing Formula Fords on track at Phillip Island because he had Targa, he had a clash, 2000. Did a bit of speedway commentary out at Western Auto Raceway in Bacchus Marsh on a Saturday night, cash in a brown paper bag, <laughs> uh, which when you're 18, it's fantastic. Oh, nice, yeah. yeah, it's ace. Um, ATO got statute of limitations. I'm not sure. We'll just we'll just cut that bit out. I can it's I fine. can pay for it if I need to pay it back because it wasn't much anyway. But <laughs> um, and just got to know Murray and wanted he knew that the whole commentary thing was sort of. I was sort of starting to do some bits. I did Pro Car Nations Cup on track. I did some Bathurst 24 Hours and some V8s and things with Barry Oliver, who was very supportive. And Murray gave me a tryout um, in about 2004. He said, oh, I've got an opportunity. There's a um, So they filmed all the Commodore Cup races in that year. But there was the, the the association that ran the series didn't have the funds to turn it into TV product. Mm. But later in the year they did, so they collected all the vision, made I don't know five or six half an hour shows for Fox Sports, and got me to commentate them with Andrew McInnes, and, and we actually he and I still laugh oh, at this. Okay. So Andrew has and is recently um, we did a story about it on our website the Lexan Formula Holden that he's <laughs> had, but he raced Commodore Cup. But he raced in those races. <laughs> so the, I've got the DVD somewhere. So the <laughs> oh, great he, move he's there still, from Whenever McGinnis. he texts me, he still writes Andrew Bailey because that's what he was renamed as the commentator <laughs> for the show. And that was my first little television opportunity and that was Murray who put me into that. And a couple of years later, uh, 2007, he got me into the opportunity with Supercast Television and Channel 7. So, so opportunity. Opportunity, that's, yeah. That's good. A word. I like to give the backstories and the additional bits no, to, good. The, to, to the words, but yeah. Ninth out in this top 10 shootout. Oh, up to nine. You're up to nine. You're doing well. Haven't, 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 haven't clipped a face. Uh, haven't, 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 haven't ripped a wheel off it. No. Yeah. yeah. Ararat Hill Climb. Golden Mile. It's two words, isn't it? Damn yeah, it. it works. We can hyphenate. Near we enough. can hyphenate. Yeah, that's cool. So I'm told we can hyphenate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tell people that all the time. <laughs> um, yeah, great event. Oh, the Ballarat Light Car Club ran events there. They ran the Australian Championship in 93 and Bob Jones took his Ampole Commodore up there. Nice. And Traddy was in his Toll VL as well. And uh, I think our marshalling point, we're at turn one. Like if you've, so Ararat's hill climb is the Golden Mile hill climb. It, quite famous. It's the longest, highest, fastest hill climb in Australia. Yeah. Before they, I think, put a chicane in it and slowed it down. Um, hosted the Australian Championship a few times. It's like it's a serious joint. You wouldn't want to have an off there. Like mm. It was fast. Uh, John Faulkner took his supercar up there about five years later and broke the record and, like, seriously shit himself. Like, it was – I'll get him on the pod next year. Yes, he'd be very he, good. I think – I remember his data was 180. Whoa. Like, there's no fences. There's no. trees. You know, fences Jeez. in a couple of spots. But, um, yeah, I, I, I was the commentator at the Golden Mile Hill Climb <laughs> in the caravan at the bottom of the hill reading out the times, and uh, I did the program as well, which was just uh, done on the computer at home with – Gaps where you could write in the times, and very good. I must have been thinking that people were going to care and sit there and fill it out like they do in British motor racing. They sit up there with their program on their lap in the grandstand and fill in the 
results and the fastest laps. The David Addison spec program. He was yes. who I was aiming at. Yes. Yeah, we'll get him on yeah. next year too, and we can slam him about that. But uh, am I correct in remembering that Craig Lowndes came to that one year? He did. He was there that year. Oh. Um, he and his then wife Nat were friends with the Faulkners, so I think he was there just for the weekend, just hang out. And uh, they tried to coerce him into driving a car. He said, oh, contractually, he couldn't do it. I think I tried to stick him in. Robert Smith, who used to be a V8 privateer, had a Ferrari 355. Mm. And I think he might have driven it up the hill just to wait like to people. Yeah, yeah. What, not competitively or anything from memory. Um, and I just remember we were all staying at the same mot- motel, not hotel, motel, and I would have been 16, 17. I think I might have done a shot or two with Lancey, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that yeah, no, that did happen actually. First, we've got the I think ATO I asked my, I think I asked my mum and she said it was okay, so that's all right. Oh, well, that's fine. That's parental <laughs> consent. That's all good. Liquor licensing uh, need not apply. I think that story came up the year that he finished full time. I might have mentioned that. I don't know that he remembers it, but it, it definitely happened. <laughs> uh, last entry in our top 10 sheet. Yep. Last car out of the lane databases. Pivotal. Hmm. Without databases, <laughs> we're screwed. We really are. Yeah, they're out. They're <laughs> our out memories are crooked. Oh, no, our right, memories oh. are good. Our memories yeah. are good. They're just full of lots of other stuff now. So yeah. having it jotted down somewhere where you can search it is the go. So I would say pivotal is the word that springs to mind. Very good. Mm. So that's your first top 10 shootout, unless I'm very much mistaken. You did well. You did well. Yeah, no, I'm happy with that. No locked breaks. I don't need to run this past illegal, so that's a good thing. <laughs> We came close. Oh, did we? Oh, sorry. No, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, it's all good. I didn't dob anyone in too hard. No, exactly. That's part two. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I, I think the whole point of this one was to not so much talk about, it's not really a my career thing, it was about no. what's this VH sleuth thing that you blokes do, what's it involved, what's behind it, how did it come to be, and we hope that that sort of answered a few of the, because the, we do get asked these questions kind of infrequently about, even not just from fans, but from people in the industry too. I think sometimes mm. go, is this a thing? Do you, do you guys just sit around and talk about old car racing all the time? Like I said off the top, I genuinely, when people ask me what it is, what I do, it's hard to answer because we do so many different things. Lots There's no short response, although I'll go back and listen to the start of this and try and remember now. Yeah, I think it's this <laughs> a couple of things. Yeah. All was, wind together. yeah. I, it, it's a bit of everything. And by having your fingers in all the pies, if any of those pies disappear off the table, then you just go and find some more, or you just up the, put another couple of fingers in the same pie. If you divert, actually, that was probably when you said about Murray Lomax. The word diversify probably is the other one because he was the one that said at the start of the telly stuff, keep your hand in with your writing, don't put all your eggs in this basket. Not because he didn't think I was capable or. It was worth me pursuing television. He just, but he knew, just what knew what the industry was like. What it's like, yeah. and and I always knew that too. So the whole time I did the telly stuff, I was always still writing, or the sleuth thing was growing, or freelance stuff was happening behind the scenes. So I kind of always took that on board that that's kind of the um, the thing that you take. You know, you take a little bit from everyone along the way, and that's the bit I probably took from him. That was a good piece of very sage piece of advice given what happened in the following years where, you know, things just change out of your own hands and you find yourself on the outside, not on the inside, and you go, oh, how did that happen? (laughs) But if you were a one-trick pony and just did the one thing, then you're in trouble. But if you've got other things to to do, then 
it's no biggie and history would show it's no biggie because we're doing all this cool stuff here in Sleuth World. So, uh, yeah, it's all good. Well, I think that's the first time we've had an 11th entry in a top 10 sh- in a motor focus top 10 <laughs> it was, shootout. It was a good one. It was a good one. It was accurate. I should have used that first, but um, yeah, I, I feel bad. I've just unveiled Andrew Bailey now. <laughs> for many <laughs> I don't years, think for, anyone for 16 gonna... years, he's been uh, he's been a protected. Uh, did the identity. other drivers in the series know? I think they did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. His well, voice is quite distinct. So, <laughs> but we recorded all of those shows of a season full on one day. Oof. Oh, it was. My brain was toast by the end of it. Yeah. And I'd hate to listen. I'll have the DVD somewhere. I would hate to listen to it because I would sound shit. <laughs> you know, when you listen back to yourself or you see an old photo of yourself and you go, oh, my God, that can never be shown. Or, yep. Yeah. 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 I, I even cringe looking at or listening to some of the early Channel 7 stuff I did because you go, oh, I probably thought I was going right then. But you go, oh. I think it's just like anybody in life looking back at things that you used to do. In my two years of Breakfast Radio News, I never looked. I never had to look far back to think, oh, that was terrible. <laughs> it was usually as soon as I hit the stop button. Rewind, yeah. play, record yeah. again. It's like every intro I do for this podcast. You go to edit them and you just don't know that I've stuffed it up six times because you get one <laughs> file. So probably well, just unveiled true. something else there that I shouldn't have that people might have thought I was actually no. good at this. But You are. I don't yeah. have to edit them very much anymore. Oh, it's shucks. Good. You can stay. You can stay. <laughs> and and on that I've enjoyed note. it, mate. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. I, there were some good questions there that made me think about some stuff that I'd not really stopped and considered over the time. So I hope people have... Uh, Gain a bit more of an insight into what we do and what we want to do and what we're going to do and how we do it all. And on that note, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the V8 Sleuth Podcast powered by Timken, a world leader in engineered bearings and mechanical power transmission products and services. This is our last episode for 2020. Yeah, this is it. It's um, finally in the books. I know. I tell you what, though, we I'm really proud of what you've done on this podcast and I'm going to turn it around on you. I'm taking back the host microphone. A great job this year. You've co-hosted a bunch of the episodes remotely. This is the first one we've sat in the same room for. Since like March. Yeah, for like eight months or something. So um, Will edits all these podcasts. He does all the stories on the website. He gets them all loaded. He sets all the socials. So he's a huge part of this, even though you don't hear him week on week. So thank you, mate. Well bold. Well played. Um, I can't... We stayed going... we, We... discussed stopping this podcast during the year mm. when COVID hit it was too hard what could we talk about but we I think we're about the only podcast that just searched and just pressed on and we didn't miss a week so and that's all down to you mate so well played Thanks. well bold and I think we've we turned up some good chats this year um, as the the last episode which was our kind of best of of the year we yeah. got some good stuff We've got a big long list of people to hunt for next year, but Ooh, yes. some, I reckon that the classic cars will do some more next year. We sort of didn't do as many this year as we thought we would, but I reckon that the, the big surprises that we'll do more of are the, the themed topic category shows. Super Touring went bonkers. Mm. Super 2 was good. So next week, New Year. Well, it is a summer episode, and what was summer, motors, summer tarmac racing in Australia back in the 90s? Thunderdome. Oh, yes. Yeah. Cool. Let's do it. NASCAR, Oscar, Sportsman, HQ, Legends, Trucks, Formula V, Trans Am. What else do they That one around? alleged Formula Ford test. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah, did, that, thing. that yeah. did happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Thunderdome. There's so much to talk about with NASCAR, Oscar. That'll be a good way to kick off the new year. So, so before we go to, a massive thank you to Timken for their amazing support right throughout the course of 
2020 and what was a really challenging year for so many businesses and people, they stuck with us. So a big thank you to Michael Pearson and the whole Timken team and family for support. We look forward to having them involved in some way, some shape or form uh, in 2021. It's been fantastic. Absolutely. Well, thanks very much for joining us for this episode of the V8 Sleuth Podcast. We'll look forward to talking to you next week. Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars unforgettable. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out.